to bring up our panelists, our fellow panelists, um, Peter Sorkoff, who is the Director of Marketing, um, VP of Marketing for the Hawks. Give it up for Peter. Thank you for joining us. And Adam Zimmerman, the Director of Marketing for the Braves. Give it up for... And the, and the Hawks won last night against the Pistons. They yes? Did. They, they did. did. Is that on? All right, so you guys have all been standing, uh, sitting down, you know, all day today and learning so much, and I'm sure your brains, your heads are about to explode. So I'd like everybody to stand up, show their love for sports marketing by giving the person to the left or right of you a hug. XCOM is all about love. Brent, John. All right. Well, I'm under some severe time constraints from our, our producers, so I'm going to try to be really brief. But there's a reason why they asked me, a chick, to be standing here. And you'll find out at the end of this presentation. What I want to quickly do, because this is a conference that's really about customer, client relationship management, right? And that successful relationship that you create when, when somebody's walking through the door of your business or viewing your website for the first time. I, I want to start with Peter, if I can, and then I want, then if Adam, could you answer the same question? And forgive me, because we have short time, I may ask a question that has a lot of different elements to it, so I ask for your forgiveness in advance. So to be successful in marketing today, specifically sports marketing, there's the element of both big and little data. Um, it's increasingly playing a larger role. Get the pun? Playing? Like that? Okay. Um, what types of data and information are you collecting, and how do you leverage that information that you're collecting to create better experiences. And then I wanna go into retargeting after that. So Peter, if you could. So um, I think sports is probably behind the curve a little bit on the big data phenomenon and we're working as hard as we can to catch up. Um, I think we, we really will collect any data that we can to be totally frank with you. Um, most importantly, buyer data. Most of that comes to us through Ticketmaster who is the ticket provider um, to get everybody into the building. There's a lot of different fields of data we get that way. Um, buyer data is interesting, but it doesn't really give us a whole much on the, uh, that much on the behavioral side. Um, when people are in the building, we love to collect as much data as we can in that space and place too. Um, so we have a new integrated Wi-Fi DAS system. To jump on the Wi-Fi, um, you've got to give us five fields of data. Um, one of the problems in sports is one person usually buys tickets for four people. So we will end up with you know, pretty significant data on that one buyer, but the other three are completely invisible to us. And that is, uh, that's a real struggle that I know all sports teams are, are trying to find solutions for. And there are a lot of different tech providers who are um, trying, to, um, trying to solve that for sports teams. Um, I think ultimately long range, if I could go there, uh, I see app and the portal of app and everything that, um, the, all the utility that will exist um, inside of an app is probably, for us, long-term, the, the ultimate collection space or place. Um, not only will we know where you parked, where you came from, where your seat was, what entrance you walked in, which concessions you potentially bought, um, when you walked in the team retail store, if you bought something at the store. We've got some technology right now that's really interesting that we're beta testing. Um, specifically in the retail side um, to give us a little more insight 
on which walls and how they're merchandised to actually make the most dollars for us and facial recognition technology that we're just testing now, which gives us a sense of male shoppers versus female shoppers based on how things are merchandised. So again, in the retail space, I think that's probably relatively elementary. In sports, um, that is kind of revolutionary. All right, Adam. So for me, two things. I, I'm, I'm keenly interested in the data that I can extract from social. Not to, not to generate, go there right now, but yeah. that for me is, is really something that we're studying. And um, you know, I, I think that the, the, the bar of success on social has been right now this thing called engagement and what do I do with it? And I, I find a piece of content and I send it to Peter. And so that to me is very outdated and, and I'm really interested in what can I learn from the data um, and, and how can I make that actionable with that engagement. So that's something we're really studying very, very diligently. The second thing, and some of you might be familiar, um, in sports we have what's called a territory. And so there is a restriction that Peter has uh, as it relates to where he can market. And um, he has a team in Charlotte, he has a team in Tennessee, his team's in Florida. Um, I, on the other hand, the Braves have a very large geographic territory. Um, seven states across the southeast, I mean, tens of millions of people. So I'm very interested in, while I certainly want to drive people to my building, um, I'm also keenly interested in how people consume the Atlanta Braves across a very large footprint. So that's something we're studying as well. So gentlemen, once you have a strategy in place, you know, how, what are the key performance indicators that you know now my strategy is working, right? So um, I think we keep it fairly simple in that there's really kind of three stages for us. Um, there is uh, awareness that we measure, there's intent that we measure, and then conversion. Right. Conversion, obviously, extremely important. Uh, the first two are a good barometer, though, to predict what conversion is going to look like. Um, most of what we have been focused on, because uh, our relationship, honestly, with the customer has been very, very transactional in the past, something that we're really working hard to move away from, um, has really been about um, trying to build attribution models, um, and in particular, any opportunity we have for direct attribution um, will fund until we lose traction on. So retargeting would be a great example of that. Search is a great example of that. Um, because we know we pushed this out either in the social space or over desktop. Somebody clicked on it. We followed them all the way through the sales process. Um, and again, there's good direct attribution to go back to measure all of that against. Once we get into fractional attribution, it starts to get a little scary, right? Because mm -hmm. it's fractional. Um, and I think probably most sports teams are shifting more and more of their emphasis into digital and into social in particular because you can track efficiencies on your spending against what your strategies are. I would agree with that. And, and, and again, one of the reasons I was delighted to be here, not only to stare, share the stage with these two, but uh, you know, we are in the midst of a massive um, set of new challenges. Uh, we have an exciting final season at Turner Field, but as many of you know, uh, you know, the Atlanta Braves will move to a new building in 2017. And, and we're really studying what that means for us. Uh, we have a new stadium. Uh, we perhaps have a, a, a different customer that we can talk to in a different way. So um, I'm, I'm delighted to kind of meet a lot of the people that are sitting in this room because we, we have some really fun uh, opportunities to learn more about who we are as we move into 2017 and beyond. 
And I have some questions about that in a moment. Sure. But I want to move on, if I could, to social media. You know, this week we learned that Snapchat had signed a deal with Turner Network Television as it pertains to March Madness. For the first time ever, Snapchat is going to allow people who are lovers of the game of basketball and are fans of March Madness to be able to access very exclusive content, not just behind the scenes, but things that um, you know Turner Network Television and, and, and the, their sponsorship of March Madness are going to allow people to see. Now, obviously, you know, live streaming does come into that conversation, right? There's some concern about that. But from what I, I understand and what I've, I talked to some folks at Turner this week, it's really about providing some extra content to those people who are true fans of the game and really love and want to stay engaged with uh, March Madness. So with that said, you know, what channels are you focusing on when you think about social media, okay, and why? And then how are you approaching each channel? You know, content marketing is only part of it, right? Community building is only part of it. So if you can talk a little bit to that, uh, Peter, and then Adam. I'll start, Peter. Let me start on Snapchat since we just executed. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah, we just executed a day. Major League Baseball has had a partnership with Snapchat for a few years. And so a few days ago, we executed the first ever Snapchat program at spring training uh, with the players. And they were actually allowed to sit in the dugouts and actually participate. And so I think what Snapchat does is it's that, that nexus point of, of TV meets engaged fan community. And so I think that's why it's such an incredible platform for us to watch, listen, and learn. You know, the live story that's being created, that, that curated fan content, um, is really going to be impactful. Um, I think other channels for us, um, you know, we, we sort of made our, made our living on Twitter. Right. Um, for a while, uh, mostly because I think what it really did was change our voice um, as we made a fairly significant repositioning in the brand over the last two years. Twitter was a great way for us to, with regularity, um, demonstrate sort of the new us. Um, the unfortunate thing is we have had a really hard time actually making any money um, from Twitter in particular. So while it serves that purpose and that's great and we can be topical and be front and center a lot, um, I think the most growth that we see is in Instagram. Uh, and Instagram has just um, jumped ahead of everybody by leaps and bounds in terms of growth and I think appetite for content. And um, I think we're all very, very visual creatures. Uh, most people are visual learners. And so what we see through our eyes, we authenticate with the rest of our senses. And so it's not a surprise to me. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I don't know that we have really also devised a great way to monetize that space either. Um, the old tired Facebook, which everybody likes to say is, you know, sort of trailing in the distance, um, is probably the one social channel that we have been able to um, harness um, from a financial standpoint. And uh, it's interesting, you know, a lot of the things that we do on Twitter, we definitely never find their way to, um, to Facebook, but Facebook has now... Um, integrated themselves with Ticketmaster where you don't have to leave the platform to buy a ticket. So if we get a deep level of engagement, we can actually sell product in that same space while we're engaging, which is really, really fascinating for us. And if I could tell a quick story, I, I alluded to it earlier about you know, the monetization of, of, of social and how we can build databases off of it. Uh, several weeks ago, do we have, have any NASCAR fans in the audience by chance? Okay, so uh, a few weeks ago uh, was the anniversary of Dale Earnhardt Sr. passing at Daytona in an accident. And we respectfully acknowledged that via social channels because Dale Sr. was a big Braves fan. So we put a tasteful piece out on social media and a couple wonderful things happened for us in terms of social. 
Dale Jr., his very popular son, acknowledged us via social media and then happened to win a race that very evening where the reporter said, well, you must be thinking about your dad today. And he said, I am. I've been following social media, and I really want to thank the Atlanta Braves for acknowledging my father. Well, all of a sudden, we had ridiculous amounts of engagement. We had about 30, 35,000 people engage with us through various Atlanta Braves social platforms. Well, guess what? Now I have a database of people who identify as an Atlanta Braves fan and a Dale Jr. slash NASCAR fan, and that will become actionable, and you will see that show up in a promotion at some point this season. So I'm very, very intrigued with how we can use social um, to get the engagement that then becomes a database that becomes actionable to drive revenue. And Adam, that's a great example of the power of community. You know, it really is. Um, on that same vein, and just one last question about social. How do you engage the individual, and Adam, if I can start with you, Braves players, Hawks players, right, in social media to also you know, drive brand awareness, community building, so on and so forth. Can you Well, talk you know, it's interesting. I think Peter will agree with me. You know, the, the holy grail in, in sports marketing was that if I knew what you wanted to do uh, around your love of your favorite team, that would be fantastic. And so over time, we've hoped, we've put programs out there that we hope you'll like. Well, now you tell me. Uh, you tell me why? Because you have the, the means to do that in front of you. You pontificate on what players you like, on what matchups you'd like to see, whether or not you should fire my coach, uh, so forth and so on. So if I'm able to scale that and pay that off, I have very impactful targeted promotions. So a few years ago, we started this thing that's now become ubiquitous called Surprise and Delight, where we would watch social media through various social uh, listening tools. And if we saw something interesting, we would, we would reach into that fan's life and make that happen for him or her. And they would reward us. Now, there was a method to the madness. We looked at clout scores. We looked at a couple other things. But we were able to pay off fans' hopes, ways, desires in a way that made them fans for life. And I think that is a, a still becomes the next generation in sports marketing because data, technology enable us to do that thing with great effect and with great frequency. Yeah, I think um, obviously there's a closed loop for feedback. Um, I think we also recognized, along with the rest of the world, um, that people like recognition, and they like recognition from organizations or groups that they have deep avidity for. Uh, and so, you know, sometimes it's the really simple things. It is acknowledging a tweet and actually pushing something back to somebody, right? Or, we, or retweeting something, even something as simple as liking uh, a post that somebody else has made, right? And the fact that that gives them some social credibility and acknowledgement yep. from this humongous organization, which frankly is not nearly as big as they think it is, but has this huge profile. So um, there's really, really little things like that. Um, and I think the, the other, for me, fascinating thing about social is how much of a person's identity they're willing to share and their interests they're willing to share. And yes. So what that's allowed us to do as well is as we have broken down who that audience is, understanding that maybe they have a great avidity for hip hop music. So, well, if we know that about our audience and we know who we're targeting, then we want to go out and build a music platform that speaks directly to that passion point, and we have a, really a pretty good set of indicators that that's going to be successful, which is just another way to engage that particular group or audience with something and acknowledge something that we can both share together, um, as opposed to it always being about us. So um, social has also allowed us to push from behind instead of always being out front and pulling, which I think is really sort of unique and repositions us in the relationship with our fans. 
So Adam, as it relates to social engagement, what are you doing right now to take the data and analytics that you're grasping, right, from each one of these experiences that you're creating and monetizing it? How do you show, you know, the, the chairman of the board of the Braves, hey, this is, this is the, you know, the ROI of what we're doing? So one of the, one of the major programs that we're going to do this year at Turner Field is we're going to count down each one of our last home games. So it's the final season of Turner Field, and we're going to go from 81 to 80 to 79 to 78. And somebody is going to come and pull down that number. So to go back to my Dale Jr. example, um, when I invite him to come and pull down a number, I will be able to take that database of fans and say to them before everyone else, hey, Dale Jr. is going to come pull down a number, and we'd love for you to be there. Mm -hmm. And so if they buy tickets, if there's some level of monetary engagement, I'll be able to track that. This is an example. Okay, brilliant. I want to move on, and this is very timely because of what's happening with the Braves. I want to talk a little bit about technology inside the venue. You know, um, we all have the opportunity when we're planning our weekends or weeknight events of going simply to a movie, and forgive me that I'm comparing it to that. Maybe it's a rock show. Um, and then there's the opportunity, obviously, to be entertained by sports. Obviously, you both have very rabid fans, so they're going to choose you first. But, you know, what type of technology is in place, or what kind of enhancements are you looking to make, um, Adam, I'm going to start with you, right, to really create that kind of experience that people think, wow, I'm so happy I bought right. that ticket to this sporting event. So, you know, technology, I think, and Peter might agree with me, you know, technology is the great arms race in sports marketing. Um, and everyone, if, if we were talking to our brothers and sisters all over the country, everyone would say, we're leading with technology. Well, what does that mean? You know, uh, and, and what it means is that, you know, you have to find ways of point of differentiation. And I know that was one of my challenges when I came to the Braves in my old world. You know, I, I thought about, well, how can I stay contemporary? I cut a deal with MIT at, at my old agency. So, you know, in my mind, uh, and increasingly you'll see this become something um, that I can, I can tell you exactly what I mean by it, but I believe that the Braves need to be in beta always. And I need to surround myself with people that are, uh, that are pushing the envelope, whether they be at uh, Atlanta Tech Village or Georgia Tech or other leading uh, places that are thinking about the forefront of technology because things are moving so rapidly, you have to surround yourself with people who are kind of pushing the envelope. So um, I'm going to go two different ways uh, with your question. Um, one technology that we brought into Phillips Arena last year is um, 3D video mapping um, projection system, which is, if you haven't seen it, absolutely It's amazing. St it's stunning. It, visually, it's just absolutely stunning and captivating. And it's a technology that really you don't see anywhere else, so it's very unique in that way. Um, I, I'm always conflicted by technology in sports, to be totally honest with you, because while I love it and I love that, um, and it's a huge, to Adam's point, um, it's a, a huge separator or point of differentiation, um, partly from our brethren, but probably more importantly from the TV experience. Um, I'm less concerned about competing with Adam and the Braves. We actually probably collaborate more than we compete. Um, I'm competing more against somebody staying at home on their couch, to be totally frank with you. Yeah. And so, you know, for me, um, the way I try to frame technology with all of my team is to never forget that this is a deeply human and analog experience that people are coming for. And technology is a way to enhance that, but not to replace that. And so I know we talk a lot about VR, and that's something that we're excited but scared about at the same time, because it's <laughs> going to be a game changer in sports. I really believe that's true. And I'll put myself out there in saying that. 
Um, but you know, in a different vein, we're going to have Tinder night 2.0. Okay, our swipe right 2.0 night is going to happen on Saturday, um, and that is a technology. But it's a technology that's about bringing people together. And I know, insert your own joke. I'm not going to say any more than that. Um, if the Tinder people were here, I would tell you that it is a technology that brings like-minded people who are geographically close together. That's all it is. Whatever you choose to do with it after that is up to you. Um, but that's a technology, again, that speaks to the audience we want to be relevant with, okay? Because regardless of what I think about it as a 44-year-old you know, married guy with three kids, um, it is ubiquitous to its users, okay? And it is incredibly relevant because that's how they're meeting people, this audience that I need to be relevant with. So bringing that relevance and the, re the relevance of that platform and the meaning of it that's in their life into our space brings a certain halo to us that we really understand that audience. Um, and so, Regardless of what the technology is, I think for me it has to pay off in that way, right? Because the night's not about Tinder. The night is actually about people connecting. That's, that's really what it is. And then they'll go out and tell their own story through all their own social channels. And, you know, we'll go back and, you know, we, we make sure we use third-party um, research firms to actually track all that earned media against that when you talk about what's the bottom line. And I'll tell you, last year when we rolled Swipe Right Night out for the first time, we had just under $32 million in earned media value on that one two and a half hour window of a game, directly attributed to us deciding to partner with Tinder. Almost $32 million. It's unbelievable. Hence Tinder 2.0. Correct. <laughs> uh, you know, one thing I would, I would also add on technology is well, we want technology to be cutting edge and we want that experience to be amazing. I also want the ushers to be nice. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm, I make that, you know, I, I mean, it's still, as, as Peter said, it's still a human experience. It's still communal. So while we do think about how the usher might be able to hear, oh, you know, Peter just spilled his beer. Go get him a new one, like right now. We, let's not forget the, the basics of, of customer service because that is also what fans take away. So that's something we also think very hard about and how technology can aid that one-on-one -on -one experience that one of our people might have with a fan, we think about that a lot as well. So that's a great segue, Adam, to my next my question. My second great segue. Your second great you segue. You are on fire. You are on fire, man. So that's a great segue to my next question is, you know, how are you using technology uh, as a customer service vehicle, you know? Um, and, and if so, like, are you looking at a mobile app of the future or something that's gonna be game-changing Again, right? Get the pun? Okay. That's um, two for right, you. That's Excellent. number two. So, and I'll be here all night, folks. Anyway, so what I was going to say is, you know, there, there's so much when you think about just being in the experience of a game, much less the arena or the stadium. Adam, can you address that and then... Well, I, I think, again, Peter would, uh, would chime in with me that you think about all of the customer experience touch points that we have in uh, all of ways that fans might now very much voice their displeasure instantly with something that we're doing incorrectly. So how do, we, how do we figure that out? Maybe someone's had a bad experience with parking. Maybe it's stuff that Peter and I can't control, but it's still attributed to us. Um, you know, and how do we very quickly aggregate and, and reach out to that fan, which we do, and I'm sure Peter does as well, to try and have that direct one-on-one -on -one engagement with that person if, if they have uh, uh, an experience that could be better at any uh, point in their consumption of our product. Peter? 
So um, I, I really resisted apps for a long time, to be totally honest with you. Um, I kind of think they suck in sports, and I'll, I'll put that out there because they're kind of commodities that, you know, if you look at the Celtics app and the Hawks app and the Lakers app, it's basically the same thing, just reskinned. Right. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of time, it is the same content that you find in other places that has also just been dropped and dumped into there. So I think that's a pretty negative viewpoint on app. Um, the, the flip side of app, too, having done the research, at least in the NBA, and I don't know what it is in MLB, um, if you look at average number of downloads on app, and I don't mean to go too far off the, the rails on this, Dorotea, but um, app in the NBA is not a very hyper-local product, okay? What, what we have found is in the NBA, nearly 80% on average across the 30 teams, nearly 80% of the downloads are outside the 150-mile uh, marketing radius or DMA of the team. So I don't really need to build an app for somebody who's a fan in California because I have a very hyper-local business. I have a building I need to fill right here and partners that I need to drive their business for right here locally. So that has kind of set the framework for us of, okay, well, what would app be then in the future? And I think, you know, what we're efforting towards right now is app, again, is this portal and space that... Um, should help the fan overcome the encumbrances of coming to a game in person. So, you know, imagine if you bought a ticket and the ticket now only lives on your phone, completely paperless. And you know when you get to the game, there's going to be a phone reader. Um, and before you even get to the game, when you pull up the app, it's going to use the geotargeting, the GPS in your phone. It's going to know where you are, and then it's going to ask you if you want the quickest trip time and, and directions to the stadium. But more than that, because it knows your seat location, it's going to tell you which parking lot is the closest one to the closest entrance with the shortest line to get to your seat, right? To me, that level of utility is now really, really fascinating. And if we want to go back to big data, behaviorally, I get to really start to understand some things about how the customer is going through this journey of consuming my product. That's right. um, so for me, um, touchless readers where I can order my parking in advance and it lives on my phone. My ticket already lives there. I can order food in advance and actually tell them what time I want it ready. So when I walk up to the concession stand, my food is already prepaid. I just go to another reader, touch my phone, and the food is sitting there ready to go. Um, these are, they, they sound um, far-fetched, but these are actually not that far away. And I think they, again, are really going to revolutionize the experience because these are generally the pain points that fans tell us, um, you know, takes enjoyment away from coming to a game live. That's right. So to me, that's the real utility of app in the future. So those are great examples of emerging and somewhat disruptive technologies. Let's talk a little bit about the future, the stadium of the future. Adam, if I can begin with you, the, yes. the Braves complex is going to be up, you know, very soon. Can you talk to us a little bit about maybe some significant changes that you've seen just, you know, in, in Major League Sports just in the last decade. And then what have fans come to expect? Because obviously you're going to be integrating those expectations and the customer experience at the new stadium. And then, you know, how are you staying relevant with that larger landscape, that larger community? You said yourself you serve about seven states, That's you right. know. Right. Can you talk about that, please? So there, there's an amazing report that's been commissioned by Jeremy Jacobs, uh, who is uh, the owner of the Boston Bruins, among other things, called the Future of Sports. And it's, a, it's an unbelievably groundbreaking 
sort of look into what sports might look like in the next 15 to 20 years with futurists and all sorts of creative people. So I go to that because I'm just, I'm fascinated with what futurists might think about what the experience is. But, you know, again, it, it comes down to, uh, I think, really listening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what, what is it that, that fans want to do? And, uh, and, you know, and Peter and I want to, to get people up off their sofas and to come into our buildings and, and sort of uh, engage in a way that they want to engage. And so how can we enable as much as possible? So both Peter and I think a lot about um, sports in the context of greater entertainment. Um, the Hawks are very much into music. We're very much into music, very much into lifestyle. Um, our development that will open in April of 17, uh, the Battery Atlanta will be a live work play development. There'll be high-end restaurants, there'll be retail, there'll be the baseball stadium. And so, you know, how can we more capture what people want to do in 2017 and beyond? Peter? Um, well, I have deep envy of the project that Adam gets to be working on right now because it's going to be absolutely amazing. It's, it's, a, and it's an unbelievably um, brilliant plan. Um, we are beginning the exercise of reimagining what our stadium could look like. Um, fingers crossed, we'll get the opportunity to make that come to reality at some point in the fairly near future. I think um, for us, the stadium of the future obviously is uber connected. Um, and as when I say that, that can obviously mean a lot of things. I think, again, the social credibility and currency that people get from being at an event live. They want to share that. They want to tell people that they're there. They want to tell people what it's like there. And we really need to be able to give them every opportunity to do that with no encumbrances. I think, you know, one of the big things that we see that is a double-edged sword is people want deeper experiences, right? Mm -hmm. And they, they want to be even farther behind the velvet rope. Um, and sometimes that is getting a chance to peek back there. And then sometimes that's getting the chance to actually be back there. And so um, one of the things that I know both um, ourselves and the Braves um, are doing and have been really doing for the last year or two is with a company called Experience, yeah. which allows fans to literally go through and upgrade their experience through the app right now, relatively rudimentary. Um, but you can come to a game and do everything from upgrading your seat to um, getting in a high five line where you actually get to slap hands with the player and be uh, on the field to play with them. And again, I think... You know, there is, um, there is a thirst for more stats, for VR, for augmented reality. All of that stuff is real, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting it's not. But again, for me, it goes back to the fact that we're all analog, and we want that deeper human experience. And if you look at millennials, all their spending patterns are that they're willing to spend on experience. That's right. right? I don't care if I own my house. I'll lease my car. But, man, I went to Spain last year, and let me tell you all about it. Or I went to a Braves game, and, you know, I got to, you know, throw out the first pitch, and then I walked off through the clubhouse, um, or whatever those things are. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a, a uh, adapting tastes that are changing with an entire generation, and I think that's part of what we're focused on really trying to understand, so that our stadium is fluid enough to be able to deliver on those changing tastes. So, so, Adam, uh, again, you know, I know you can't reveal a ton of what's coming, but maybe just um, tease us a little bit about some of the things that are going to be coming to the new Braves uh, stadium. Uh, well, you know, new we're... New experiences. Yeah, well, I, I can't really. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I will in short, in short time, <laughs> other than to say that, 
you know, that there will be a, uh, a live, work, place, a play, rather, community. We will have some restaurant concepts, um, there will be music, uh, and there will be a, a new community that's being built on that footprint. Um, I did want to go back for a moment to what Peter said sure. about, about uh, in-stadium and, and curating experience and, and the need for people to do that. There was a remarkable moment, it actually happened here a few years ago at the Final Four. Uh, where uh, some of you might remember that the Louisville player uh, who was from here had a horrific leg injury and everyone on TV knew what had happened and no one in the stadium knew what had. And I remember going to a conference when people were talking about that, that you know, uh, fans were, oh my gosh, what's going on? And this kid and so forth and so on. And it really became, to Peter's point, you know, the, the, the increasing emphasis on allowing the fans in the stadium to be able to curate that experience and become journalists in and of themselves. Anything else you'd like to add? Let's go Hawks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think when Peter and I, uh, who have known each other for a long time, were talking about this presentation, I, I think it is, it is such a timely issue for us. This, this notion of how can we collectively in sports business be better uh, and, and, and leverage the expertise of people in this room because it, it is something that we think hard about uh, every day. It's something that candidly I think we would agree that we're under-resourced on across the industry and it's something that done well could really have tremendous effects on our business. Yeah, no, I would wholeheartedly agree and I think um, some of the biggest innovations that have occurred in our organization recently have been inspired um, by companies outside of sports, to be totally frank with you. Um, sports, I think, has a little bit of a copycat mentality. Um, the term best practices may be overused a little bit. Uh, one team does something, it works well, everybody wants to jump on it. And, and that's smart, don't get me wrong, but um, I'm fascinated to see how other companies are um, engaging and deepening their avidity with their customers and treating their customers and how they're going about doing that. Because a lot of times, again, at the end of the day, that is applicable to us. And, and I'll end with this. Um, you know, two years ago, we went through a, um, a very deep social listening study that brought back some really, really fascinating insights for, for our organization that really kind of changed the paradigm of how we looked at our fans. And it was that Ultimately, we were completely emotionally disconnected and devoid with the marketplace. Um, and that was not exactly what I'd hoped to have come back from that study, but it was truth. And so it set us on this path of looking at our customers in a very, very different way, and not solely as data points, but as human beings right. with real interests, likes, and passion. And ultimately, what that flipped the switch on for us was this understanding that we'd been approaching them with logic. Okay, and in a lot of other businesses, that makes a lot of sense, right? The feature benefit model still works in a lot of other categories and industries, but in professional sports, this is a totally and completely emotional thing. Would right? you say, Peter, fan is short for fanatic? Without question, and we all forget that, right? And so at the end of the day, you know, the second we're talking to fans logically is probably the worst possible place for us to be, because that's not how they're approaching us and our product. Um, and so watching, I think, how other companies yep. manage that process is really, really fascinating because we haven't been doing it for that long. I, I think that's a huge point, too, you know, that um, we realize now in marketing that we're largely not in control of our brands anymore, right? The, the people that use our brands, they're the ones that sort of pontificate on it. And I think that's particularly uh, true in sports is that how Hawks fans choose to interpret and engage with the Hawks brand 
and how my fans choose to interpret and engage with me is something I can't control. It's something that I have to listen to and go with. And look, social media has given everybody not just an opinion, right? We all had an opinion before. Now we all have a voice and a platform, and a platform to go tell the rest of the world about it. And, and you know, that can't be ignored. Um, and for us, you know, we're top of mind whether we want to be or not. We always want to be, but sometimes we don't. Um, and so, again, technology to, to continue to manage um, those relationships. Um, it's, it's without question the linchpin of the whole future, I think, for our industry. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Let's give them a round of applause.